If you would stand with me as we read the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and verses 16 through 18. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, Christian, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be, may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Verse 16, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is the word of God. Thank you, Father. We thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for each person that has carved out time out of their life to come to hear the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each one of our hearts today things that we need to know and that we will take what we know and we learn and we put it into practice. Fill us today with your spirit, God, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And you want to, for the, all of your life, realize that the king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming and things are going to change. Now we're living in a world that is transitioning now from the old ways into a new world that's coming. And we're going into the globalist movement now, which has all been predicted in Bible prophecy. And you know this because you've just been through the book of Revelation with me. Now we are, Jesus is doing this teaching. And again, he's teaching us how to respond to a world that is very contrary to Christians and growing more and more contrary to Christians. And remember, everything has to do with the way that we address the world, with our hearts, with our inner person, our inner being. How, because your heart determines what your actions are going to be. So something starts in your heart before it becomes an action. Now remember this, we are dealing with something called our fallen nature. Our fallen nature, we have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified. We've been declared righteous in his sight. You are as good as you're ever going to be in the sight of God. The moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, you are as righteous and holy and pure as you're ever going to be. Things that we do after salvation are for his honor and for his glory, not for us. Okay, we don't do this to stand out. He says three times in here, Three different things he's, 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 he's facing here. He's talking about giving, prayer, and fasting. And each one of these things is addressing the hypocrites on how they want to have self-adulation and how Jesus 
abhors that behavior. So we want to know that we want to be a spirit-led person, not a flesh-led person. So let's ask this question. Our flesh is this. Our flesh is our fallen nature. Be sure that you know that, and you're always going to be in that struggle with your fallen nature. Everything in this world system feeds your flesh. You never have to take time out for your flesh. It automatically is being filled every moment of every day all around you. Flesh food, flesh food, flesh food, flesh food. It's coming at you in droves. It's a smorgasbord for crying out loud. So our, our flesh nature, by the way, is never satisfied. It's a glutton. Always wants more and more and more. Have you experienced that? My flesh always wants more. And your flesh is like piranha, never satisfied, always on a free feeding frenzy. But I want you to think about your flesh and how sometimes it can look so nice, look like these little fishies. Watch these little fishies coming up next. Oh, they look so cute. These are piranha. Okay? Now watch when they start to want to feed. Be the next picture. This is what they look like. This is your flesh. Ugly, nasty, always wants more, never, ever, ever satisfied. That is your flesh. Now, we also know that we're in this constant struggle, this constant tension between our flesh and our spirit. You've been born again in the spirit, but you will have this fight until you die. The one that you feed is the one that's going to win. And again, I tell you, you are in a smorgasbord of the flesh living in this world, and you must take time to feed your spirit. Otherwise, this guy right here will dominate. And this will be pulled way over to the flesh side. Feed your spirit. Now, our battle strategy is this. When you're dealing with your flesh, when you're dealing with the world, number one, we must detach from the world. Detach from the feeding frenzy of the world. Number two, feed your spirit. That is a requisite. That is a must. That is not an option. And thirdly, starve your flesh. Feeding your spirit starts with this. It starts with hearing. Hearing Jesus. Allow Jesus to speak to you. Listening, dwelling in Jesus. Hear Him. There was a commercial years ago. Some of you really old or moderately old people might remember this commercial. And it was E.F. Hutton. And when E.F. Hutton spoke, watch what happens. Everybody starts to listen. Oh, E.F. Hutton speaking. Let's listen. You know that E.F. Hutton was a financial institution in 1993. It went defunct. $12 million in debt. Don't put all your eggs in this basket. Don't put all your eggs in the flesh basket. Our eyes should be focused on somebody totally different. Our eyes should be focused on Jesus Christ. Now, Think about this. Now, there will be a picture coming up here in a minute. In a minute. In a minute. But there, think about this. How do people often respond to listening to Jesus? Maybe later, Jesus. That stuff, that Jesus stuff isn't so important to me today. I'm more concerned about what I want today. Cramps my style. That's too old-fashioned. It's a damper on my life. And the masses today, even in the church, when Jesus talked about divorce and he talked about sexual immorality, not, not to do divorce except for adultery, and I talked about sexual immorality, so many people just cast that off, even in the church. Now, you know what sexual immorality is. We've talked about that. It's pornea, any sexual act outside of the marriage covenant. 
That is something prohibited by God. In the marriage covenant, he made something wonderful, the sexual union between a man and a woman, but is to be under the marriage covenant of God. That is his instruction. People don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear about divorce. People do not want to hear about love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. No, that is not what we want to hear. We want payback and that sort of thing. We want eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And Jesus is so, so different than us, so contrary to us. And remember on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 5, Father speaks. When Jesus tears open his outer being, his glory shines through, and this word comes from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear him. And I want to tell you this as passionately as I can. May we be more hearing Jesus when he speaks. May we be more like this when we hear Jesus. Watch this first picture here. These are people that are tuned in. Jesus speaks. Everybody is watching him. And the next slide is going to tell you exactly what to do. All eyes, folks. For all of your life, all eyes on Jesus. Make a left flank, left turn, left whatever. All eyes on Jesus. Take them off of the world and put your eyes on him. Now, what keeps you from putting your eyes on Jesus? I can tell you very specifically what keeps most humans from getting their eyes on Jesus, and that's distraction. Distraction. What keeps us from hearing? Distraction. And remember this, we have this triunity of thing. Distraction leads to deception, which leads to destruction. And we are a distracted people. A distracted people are easily deceived. There's never been, now you've heard me say this like a thousand times. Um, that might be hyperbole, but a lot of times, we are the most distracted people in the history of the world. And you know what's going to come up next in this picture. But this isn't the only distraction. We all have our, our technology and that sort of thing. This goes on 24-7 with humans. We are so connected to the technology. That's not the only thing. It's the, it's the glitz of the world. It's the commercials on TV. It's the programs on TV. You cannot see a television program today unless it is full of immorality. There's just about nothing you can watch. Nothing. You are constantly distracted by evil. Constantly. And Jesus, in this, this environment of distraction, tells us to act differently than the world in this Sermon on the Mount. And last time we talked, he says, don't retaliate. Don't return in kind. And you're saying, how in the world can I do that? You can't. The only way that you can do that is if you're dwelling in Christ. This re not retaliation, this loving your enemies is not for a baby Christian. It is not for a cursory Christian. It is not for a fan of Jesus, waving at Jesus from the, from the bleachers, from, from left center field, watching the game down here, waving at Jesus. That's not who it's for. It's for those people who are in the game, those people who are dwelling in Christ, those people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, do you know that Jesus modeled this loving your enemies when he was on the cross? Remember I said it last time? When he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you remember when that, when that statement came out and I flashed on the screen the crown of thorns, the nails, the size of those nails, those spikes? 
And then you had that awful picture of the spikes going in through the ankle. This, in this setting, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus says, we are to emulate and to be more like the Master and less like us. Jesus died filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us how to live filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us how to be victors, not victims in this world. Jesus taught us how to be overcomers, not succumbers, to every dangling bait of the flesh that comes at us. He taught us this, and it must be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus taught us something really special, folks. And I hope you never forget this. He taught us how to live here with joy and peace in spite of what's going on around us. It's going to get more tense as we grow closer to the end. In order to live with joy and peace, you must be close to Him, and then you must be close to one another. You must gather strength from one another, encouragement from one another. There's a, there's a, there's a, a scripture in John 15, 11, and it'll come up on the screen. He talks about joy. Now watch this. Now isn't this joyful? This, should be the, this, this is the attitude of a joyful Christian. These things I have spoken unto you that my, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Full. Hear this. Now these are words that Jesus is speaking to you. This is possible during this time walking through your life. 60, 70, 80 years or whatever you have. This, it's possible here. That word joy is gladness of heart. Gladness of heart. And you can be full of joy. The word is palero. Palero, cram full, overflowing, overflowing in the world, no matter what. No matter what your life circumstances are, you still can have joy. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus was totally full of thrilling joy when he's on the cross, but there should be a, an inside spirit of joy that permeates you during most of the things that happen in this world. And when something bad happens, you don't stay in the, in the morass of the past but you move on and realize that the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is my strength. You are living in this evil, unfair world, and you can, you can overcome all the whatevers that come into your life. How? Filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. By the way, Stephen was the first martyr in the church. He was stoned. And you know what Stephen said? Father, forgive them. Just like Jesus did. He was emulating the Master. He was emulating the Master. Peter was crucified upside down. John was boiled in oil on the Isle of Patmos. Polycarp was burned at the stake at age 86. He says, 86 years I have served my God. And he has been great to me and I will not turn on him. You folks have the same spirit it's a rhetorical you. It's us. It's, we have the same spirit. And we can do the impossible. We can forgive our enemies. We can love our enemies. We can move on from the past. We don't have to be stuck in the past. We can turn the other cheek. Now this week, Jesus is going to tell us something different. He's going to tell us what real worship looks like. And real worship has little to do with the externals, but everything to do with the internals. Now, I don't know how you come to church. And, and you know, there's people that, that, that love the music. There's people that don't like the music. There's people that like the teaching. There's people that don't like the teaching. 
There's people that like to be with people. People don't like to be with people. It's a matter of your heart, folks. When you're coming in here and you hear somebody a little bit off in their singing, don't allow that to destroy your spirit. I mean, if I'm behind you singing and I'm messing you up, please forgive me. Please forgive me. It's a matter of our hearts. True worship is our heart to God's heart. And I defined it this way. Complete honor, adoration, extolling the one who gives us life and breath and all things. All eyes on Jesus, folks. All eyes on Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about worship and giving and praying and fasting, and it starts in verses 1 and 4 with giving. Take heed, pay attention, that's what heed means, pay attention, listen up, that you do not do your charitable deeds, your giving, your almsgiving, before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, watch this, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. You hear this, you're going to hear this three times. Don't do what the hypocrites do. Don't get all the attention focused on you. It must go from us to God. Everything from us to God, from the lesser to the greater. Now, I'll give you Zadi Adi's definition, his Greek text definition of worship. It is this, to pay homage, show reverence, to kneel before, and I want you to focus on these, these couple words, to serve and obey. To serve and obey. And I want to suggest to you that we serve, we worship God when we serve Him and we obey Him. It, worship is, comes from the Anglo-Saxon Saxon word that means worth-ship. And I've, I've said this many times and I've had it on the board many times, so I didn't put it again, but it means to attribute worth or value. And folks, we must have God first above all others. Remember the first, first four commandments, shall know their God before me, shall not make for yourself an idol, shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Everything focused on God with those beginning ones. And the last ones go towards men. We worship God by serving and obeying Him. Now, the serving and obey list that we have is endless. We, we serve and obey a lot of things that we should not be serving and obeying. And I think one of the things we serve the most is ourself. Our flesh. Addictions. Idols, I have my list here. Other people, movie stars, sports heroes, sports itself, video games, technology. You can even worship your spouse or your children, your work, even your church. And it could be inappropriate. Inappropriate because your eyes are more focused on those things than they are God. And what you're serving and obeying is what you're worshiping. Now I want to ask you a question. Do a little introspection here for just a second. What are you worshiping before God? A bit of self-reflection here. Everybody has a golden calf. Everybody has something that they're worshiping, that they will bow down to, and you must identify your idol, something that you're putting before God. God will not tolerate competition with himself. 
He will not. He will deal with your idol. And it hurts. Believe me, I have had lots of idols. And they hurt as they get peeled out of your life. Willingly give them up instead of making things to be taken from you. Now, what is giving? It's actually almsgiving. And it is giving to the poor, the underprivileged, and the needy. The Pharisees gave to the poor. But how did they do it? Look at me. Look at me. You've been in churches where you pass the plate, okay? And now we have envelopes and you can't see what people give. But there was a time in the past where you could pass the plate and somebody would you know, put their little mite in and you know, put it in like this really quick. And there's other ones that would be laying it out and got their big $100 bill or something whirling around and boom, put it in the plate. I mean, you know how humans are. We're so prideful. We are. We're prideful. We're prideful people. Be careful not to steal the glory, folks. Giving to be noticed is a common human trait. How do I know that? I've done this. I've done this. You can cloak it in all kinds of, of, of religiosity. But, but the motive is really important to God. It's a common human trait. Hear what Jesus says about this in Luke chapter 18, verse 10 through 14. He says this, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You know the tax collectors? They were hated in the culture, despised in the culture, certainly looked down on by the Pharisees. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this miserable, pathetic tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would know so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast in grief, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, forgiven, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Folks, be careful not to steal the glory. Nebuchadnezzar tried to steal the glory. Remember, Daniel had a dream in Daniel chapter 4. He dreamed that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be chopped down. He was going to be cut out. And this dream went this way, and they, they, shall, they shall wet the dew. This is talking to Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to be driven from men. Daniel's telling him. You'll be wet with dew of heaven until you know the Most High rules. Change, Nebuchadnezzar, change. You know what Nebuchadnezzar did? Twelve months later, he walks on his rooftop. And he looks at what he has created. And these are the words, twelve months later, Is not this not the great Babylon that I have built? Is not this is it's not been done by my mighty power for the honor of my majesty? And while the words were in his mouth... Watch this. A voice fell from heaven. Can you imagine this in your life? King Nebuchadnezzar, or put your name there, King Ricky. King Ricky, it has been declared to you. It is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. They're going to drive you from men until you realize that the Most High reigns. Seven seasons, seven times. And remember when we were going through our book of Daniel study, we had that awful picture of this animalistic-looking Nebuchadnezzar with the long hair, the long nails on his fingers, grazing about, losing his mind. 
because he extolled himself. He stole the glory. Be careful. Don't steal the glory. Jesus disdains giving self-glory. Jesus disdains this. No glory stealing. And Jesus pulls no punches with this. Pulls no punches with this. He calls them hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? A mask wearer, a fake, a fraud. Wearing masks. Oh, we do that here today, don't we? For theater. <laughs> That's what Rand Paul says. Randy, we're wearing masks for theater, okay? We're wearing it for theater. Uh, the New Testament is primarily talking about an acting role. Jesus sees through all the phony baloney of your life, folks. He knows every motive. He knows every little ditzel about your being. Remember, you receive the applause of men for a second. But remember how fickle people are. You're only as good as your last outing. That's it. You ask a pitcher who could have been the Cy Young the year before, hurts his shoulder and he's off to the side someplace. Remember, almsgiving is charitable deeds in secret and are worship to God. Unnoticed by man, but seen clearly by God. And God encourages giving for the right reason. And please, let me emphasize this. We are stewards of what we have. Stewards of what we have. Folks, it is not mine. I do not own anything. I'm taking care of something that the master has given to me generously. It is not mine. And then we have this little picture. Please remember this. It is not your money. You are simply a caretaker of what God has given to you. That is what stewardship is. So be good stewards of what God has given you. Good stewards. Now with that, now remember just the last thing. Giving to the poor is something that we're expected to do. But make sure you're doing it with the right motives. Not to get glory unto yourself. Do not steal the glory. Then he transitions into prayer. What real worship looks like in prayer. Verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you Christians, when you pray, be different than the hypocrites. You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corner of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's the second time he said this. And when you pray... Do not use vain repetitions. Do not stutter as the heathens do, at the, as, the, as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. He's warning us, telling us over and over. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask of Him. Prayer. We can even be hypocritical in prayer. Trying to be noticed in prayer. Now, since we're in this section on prayer, I want to take you on a little journey. A little journey. Question number one is, what is prayer? What is prayer? And I want to suggest to you this. Prayer is practicing the presence of God. It is a discipline. It is something that you have to take time to do. We are practicing the presence of God. It is always the lesser to the greater. The lesser to the greater. We worship God when we pray to God and give them the honor he deserves. So prayer number two is admitting our need, our dependence upon God. I need you, God. Now, 
I think everybody in here has been to that point. We need God in our situations. We need God. We are dependent people, not independent people. Prayer number three is talking to God, fellowshipping with God, spending time with God. You must carve out time for your God. And please hear this next one, loud and clear. Prayer changes the one praying. My will is conformed to God's will. We cannot, you've heard people pray. I mean, you get these power prayers. You know, God, I'm declaring, I'm declaring, I'm commanding. And I'm thinking, what are you declaring? I mean, I'm coming to God and I'm asking my father. I'm not demanding my father do something. That is inappropriate. That is inappropriate. We ask God. God changes us, our hearts, our souls, our spirits are melded together with God's spirit. I become one with him and I desire his will in prayer. I get to the point, God, no matter what, I want your will to be done, not my will to be done. And finally, prayer is a place. This is kind of a summation where my heart is quieted. Now you might become before God all disturbed and all in a, in a yank, but there will become a time when you, when you, in the presence of your father, that you'll sense his presence and you'll feel the gentleness and the quiet of God come upon you. And your heart is quiet. Your world is silenced and everything kind of fades into the background. And I enjoy the presence of God. When you pray, it's written in the present tense. We are expected to continue to pray and to continue to pray and to continue to pray. Now I have a question for you. Now, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that God knows the beginning from the end. We know that God ordains things. He puts things in place. Nothing happens outside of his, at least his permissive will. Okay, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, he is, does not do evil. He does not, he's, can't, you can't lay that on him. But somehow, some way, everything passes through his hands. Okay? Now, with that statement, does prayer really change things? Ask yourself that question. And I would say a resounding yes. Yes. God delights in changing our circumstances in response to a prayer of faith. Luke 18.1. Jesus says, always pray. Again, that's, that's an attitude. It's a constant attitude that we are to have. And not lose heart. Don't give up. Keep praying about your situation. And then somehow, I don't know how this works, somehow, some way, in the sovereignty of God, he incorporates our prayers into his decisions. Isn't that just the most amazing thing? So, I don't know how that works. And remember, it's always his will, his timing, and he has the right to answer the prayer, yes, no, or the most difficult of all, wait. If you're type A, waiting is not so easy. Now, what about praying like the hypocrites? Well, you know what that is, to be noticed. It's the phony baloney show. This is what Jesus disdains. When others are fooled and bamboozled by you, Jesus sees all. Jesus knows all. Now, the Jesus way is this. Do not do anything for show and the applause of mankind. 
Enter your room, keep it between you and God. And I would suggest to you this, enter your secret place, is what it says, the place where you meet with God regularly. And I hope that you have a secret place where you're meeting with God regularly. Your war room, you saw the movie, there was a war room movie. The place where you do business with God. It can happen all day. I can, you should be in an attitude of prayer, have God involved in your life all through your day. But there is, there's our defined times when you go into your war room and you go before God. You bring your petitions before him. Enter into your secret place. Now, the question you have to ask yourself, does this eliminate public prayer? And the answer is no. No, it's all about attitude. Ezra prayed publicly for the nation. Nehemiah, Jehoshaphat, and the list goes on and on and on where there's public prayers. But it's always directed at God. It's not directed at the person praying, trying to get brownie points for their praying. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, what is praying in vain repetitions like the heathen? Well, vain repetitions is batologio. Logio is words. Logos is words. Logio. It means to speak foolishly, indiscreet bowing in prayer. These are self-directed prayers chanted over and over like some sort of magic incantation. This doesn't mean that we can't bring our petition to God over and over and over. I think we should pray frequently, not give up praying until the Spirit tells you enough. But we can year after year after year. There's people we pray for in our lives, our whole lives. My dad was 97 before he died. And I prayed for him most of my adult life that he would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray and we keep praying, we keep praying and we keep praying. Don't give up. Don't give up. The important thing here is that we do not control God by demanding our way and our will in prayer. We pray like a Christian. You pray like a Christian by trusting God with Thy will be done. Now, you can bring promises that he has brought in his word before God. Lord, you said you would do this. You said, if I believe, we'll receive anything we ask for in prayer. Asking you shall receive. Knocking, ask, asking you shall receive. Seeking you shall find. Knocking it shall be open unto you. You said, if I do this, God, you'd answer. We can bring that to him. But in the end, I have to trust him. I want to trust him. I can't trust myself in, in prayer because I'm selfish. And oftentimes I want my own way. You ever hear people saying, well, I'm praying for that house and I want it. I want that house. I want that car. I want that woman. I want that man. I want him. No, your will be done, God. Now, trusting God is like this bridge across the piranha-infested waters. Rickety, rickety, don't know if I'm going to make it. God, I'm going to trust you in this life. No matter what, please, indelibly put this in, in, into your minds. No matter what, trust God. No matter, I don't care how rickety the road is. I don't care how dangerous these waters might be. I'm going to trust God. I will trust in the Lord until I die. That's right. I will trust in the Lord until I die. I will not give up. We ask in faith. We believe in faith. We trust in faith. But we leave it up to God. Remember Nebuchadnezzar built an idol for himself? Everybody had to bow to the idol. Oh, when the psalteries went off and the band started playing and the idol came across, the whole nation bowed except three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they had a great line that they gave Nebuchadnezzar. 
when he says, if you don't bow, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What, what power before the supreme power of the earth, Nebuchadnezzar? Everybody else was trembling. Three men stood up. Three. Out of the whole nation, out of all the Babylonians, out of all the Hebrew slaves, three men. Three. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. That's my attitude. My God can heal me. My, I'm believing my God will heal me. I'm believing my God will save whoever it is. I'm, believe, I'm trusting you for this, okay? He delivers us from your hand, O king. But if not, that's, a, that's very powerful. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold idol which you have set up. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust in the Lord until I die. And I don't know if this thing's going to work out the way I want it to work out, but I'm trusting it'll work out the way he wants it to work out. That's how I'm going to approach it. I'm going to trust you, God. Now, hindrances to prayer. Look, at your outline was getting too long, so I didn't put this on there. So listen up. You, these things will block your prayer. Known sin. If you're a Christian and you have known sin in your heart, unconfessed, and you're living with it, harboring it, your, your prayers are blocked. How do I know? Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I regard, if I harbor, enjoy, hold on to, that's what that's talking about, sin, iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. How about husbands not honoring their wives. This is a big one. Husband and wife things. In 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, you don't treat your wives properly. Your prayers will be hindered. He's saying that specifically to husbands. How about issues with fellow Christians? Talking about bringing your, your gift to the altar. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. How about unforgiveness? Unforgiveness, this is a big thing. I'm not, I can't forgive that person. I can't do that. Well, you can't, God can. Let's just face it. There's some things that happen to people that you can't muster up forgiveness, but God can give you the ability to do the impossible. Peter says this, brave Peter. Then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Peter thought he was just being so, so wonderful. Jesus said unto him, I say not seven times, but 70 times seven. A Hebrew idiom for innumerable. We forgive, we forgive, we forgive. Why? Because Father forgives us over and over and over and over. And, and then we have this one. We ask with the wrong motives. James 4, 3. You have not because you ask not. You might spend it on your own pleasures. And then finally, unbelief. Folks, you've got to come to God, believing that he will act in your situation. Matthew 13, 58. He did not do many works there because of their unbelief. Folks, when you come before God, address your sin issues. Be honest with them. We're going to take communion here in just a few minutes. Deal with your sin issues. Be honest with God with your sin issues. And then partake of the elements. Deal with your sin issues. And remember, it's his timing. Yes, no, and wait. And no matter what happens, remember, just never forget this. I don't care what you've been through, 
what you're asking for forgiveness for, God loves you implicitly. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he is looking out for your good. We've talked about giving. We've talked about prayer and worship. And now let's talk about fasting. Verse 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place. You're doing it for father. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is the third time that we do not do things for the accolades of people, but we're doing it for the glory of God. You know why you're a great husband? You know why you're a great wife? You know why you're an obedient child in a family? It's for the glory of God. I'm not going to be a great husband if I'm going to be self-centered. My wife won't be a great wife if she's going to be self-centered. I can't be a great worker at work unless I'm doing it to the glory of God. I got my little hind end up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get to work on time. I usually get there about, I used to get there, uh, you know, half hour, 45 minutes early. And everybody say, why do you get here so early? And I said, I want to do a little bit more than the average person does. I was in charge of the department. I want to set an example and that sort of thing. We have a responsibility to work as unto the Lord. I'm working for him. In my workplace, I'm working for him. Being a parent, I'm working for him. It's not easy, but everything for his honor and his glory. So fasting, what is fasting? Now, some people believe it's, it's giving, it is giving something up. Some people say, oh, I'm going I'm to fast on fishing. I'm going to give fishing up for the Lord for a weekend. Or, or give up chocolate or TV or sports or your computer. Fasting in Israel usually involved giving up food to, 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 to engage in a spiritual exercise. Folks, listen to this. Fasting disconnects us from our flesh and connects us to our spirit. And it's always connected with prayer and bringing worship to God. It sublimates my flesh, accentuates my spirit, and increases my ability to be able to commune with God. That's what fasting does. So fasting emphasizes the, the denial of the flesh. Pharisee fasting was this. Look as gaunt as you can. And what are you doing, Pharisee boy? I'm fasting for the Lord. You know, I mean, they're always doing it for their own glory. Drawing attention to themselves. God fasting is private and it is personal between you and God. Folks, God must be the center of our worship. Giving, praying, fasting, or whatever. We don't do it for the applause of men. We don't do it to be puffed up. We don't do it to be noticed. Look at our flesh always wants to be noticed. But there will be a picture here that comes up. Watch this. Just You can do this. Say no. This was Nancy Reagan's thing with drugs. But anyway, say no to the works of the flesh. Say no. Do you know why you can say no? Because you've been born again of the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God resident within you. 
He has given you his karatos power, which we've spoken of many times, the ability to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. I can do the impossible through God in me. I can do that. I can. Now, fasting is, is, is never commanded in Scripture, but it is encouraged, and it is, it is looked at like he, he expects you to be doing this, but it's not a command, interestingly enough. The motive and the manner are crucial. The timing is up to you, or the length is up to you. Now, you ever get with a bunch of Christians, and you talk about fasting, and it isn't three seconds before the, the most spiritual guy in the group says, I fasted for 20 days. They got to get that out there. Somehow, some way, that's going to eke out there. I fasted for 20 days, okay? And it's not so bad for the first, it's terrible for the first two or three days, but after that, it all goes away, and you feel so much better. And there's always this tendency in us, somehow, some way, to take the glory. We just do this. It's just the way we are. Now, that person saying that doesn't really realize that's what they're doing. I think most of the time they don't. It's just how we are. We're so pitifully depraved. We have no idea how depraved we are as people. We just don't. Fasting is not showing off your spirituality. Fasting is not done to fulfill a religious checklist. Fasting is not manipulating God to get get what I want. Fasting is this. It's drawing closer to God, seeking his guidance in a situation, and then coming to the realization, your will be done, Father. Express your feelings. Father, I would like to see this. I want this done. I have prayed many times. Chris and I, when we first got married, we didn't have anything. You know, that pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of and that whole thing. We had nothing. And we wanted to buy a mobile home. And they had this mobile home called a Holly Park. And the Holly Park had everything in it. It had carpeting and new stuff. And I said, oh, we need to get this. And so we're praying, God, this is what we want. We want this mobile home. And and we didn't get it. And we were crushed. And we were broken. God has the right to say no. And we ended up in an apartment and got to experience that whole thing, yelling and fighting through the walls and that sort of thing. But you don't always, we, we can't manipulate God. God had a different plan for me. And I have to accept that. I have to accept that, even though I don't understand it. Let's face it, we don't understand a lot of this stuff. We don't understand it. Now, some closing thoughts. In all of our worship, folks, we're ascribing worth to God, never about me. And again, it's so easy for pride to eke out. It just is. It just resonates in our beings. Uh, A.W. Tozer talks about the self-life. And watch what he says here. This is a quote. He says, the self-life blinds us to the holiness of God. When I'm living for myself, I can't see the holiness of God. That is something too abstract for me. And I can't see it. A lot of times I'm in the spirit. I have a hard time with it because God's holiness is so contrary to who I am. Then he says, the self-sins keep us from seeing God as he really is. Interesting quote from Tozer. Then he goes on to say this, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love blinds us. And then I added, promoting ourselves under the guise, the cloak of promoting Christ is so common amongst believers. 
We're so good at this as Christians. It can be so subtle, so innocent, yet it is an affront to God. How quickly we can cloak our worship in religious jargon and religious activity. How quickly we can do that. Now, I want you to take a breath here for just a second. Take a cleansing breath. Breathe in, and I want you to realize something. How much God loves you, how much God loves you. He gave you his son to die for you. When you believed in him, his righteousness, I've already said it once, I want to say it again for emphasis, was credited to you. Now he views you as he views his son. Holy, pure, clean, righteous. That is how he views you. Now, the stuff that you do in your life doesn't change that. Doesn't, change, doesn't make you better in his sight. Doesn't make you a better person in his sight. You are as clean and pure and holy. When we do good works, we're doing it because we love him, we honor him, we desire to serve him, and we're bringing glory to him because of what he has done for us. It's way out of balance, folks. I mean, what Jesus has done for us, way over here, what we do for him, and I already moved the needle. And we think we've done so much. No. Be careful with the self-life. It can be so, it can be, our, our, our tendency is to be prideful. Now, brothers and sisters, hear this. Our worship is not a one and done act, but as Tozer says, a continual gaze of the heart at God. What a statement. This guy was a great writer. When we worship God, we set our gaze upon him. We take it off the world. We take it off the deception. We take it off the technology. We take it off all the glitter of the world, the smorgasbord of the world. And we set our gaze upon our holy God. That is what worship is. Set our gaze on him. And then guess what? God will then set his gaze on us. Can you imagine? Eight billion people in this world and God takes time out to focus on you. That's an astounding thing to me. That's mind-blowing. God will set his gaze on us. Psalm 22.3 says it this way, But you, God, are holy. But you are holy. Enthroned, yet you are enthroned in the praises of your people. God doesn't need our praise to make him feel good. But he loves it when we praise him. That word enthroned means to sit, to dwell, or in the King James says inhabits. That's where it's one of the words. Inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship God, when we praise him, he's in the midst of that. He loves it when we worship him. The God of the universe will take time to sit with you, to dwell with you, to set his gaze on you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how much God loves you? How much he loves us. It's astounding to me. One so magnificent, one so wonderful, one so high and lifted up would take time out to set his gaze on me? That's an astounding thing. May we glorify our God in spirit and in truth. Worship him in spirit and truth as he really is. May we glorify our God today and always and may we set our gaze on him with all of our worship. Remember, your worship is your life. It's not, it's not an hour on Sunday morning. 
It's not five minutes on, in, in the beginning of your day. It's all through your day as we serve and obey Him, as we honor Him and bring glory to His name. It's at your home. It's in your work. It's in your recreation. It's in public. It's in private. It's when I rise. It's when I lie down at sleep. All of it. I'd recommend you do this. I got this from the chosen. Bless you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings sleep to my eyes, rest to my mind, and healing to my body. Just say that before you go to bed. Bless you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings sleep to my eyes, rest to my mind, and healing to my body. Try that. Try that. It'll shut off your brain. In the pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer says, those who worship God in spirit and in truth have a special thing to look forward to. Quote, in this sincerity of spirit and truth, those who do that need not wait long for fountains of acceptance. Don't you love that? To be accepted by God. God will unveil his glory before this type of worshiper's eyes. He will place his treasures at his disposal. For God knows that his honor is safe, listen to this, in such consecrated hands that are given over to God. His honor is safe there. I want to close with an A.W. Tozer prayer. So if you would just, just focus on this for just a second, please. Hear these words. He says this, O God, be exalted over my possessions. Nothing of earth's treasure shall seem dear to me if only you are glorified in my life. Be exalted over my friendships. I am determined that you shall be above all. Though I may stand deserted and alone in the midst of the earth. Be exalted over my comforts. Though it mean the loss of bodily comforts and carrying of heavy crosses. I shall keep my vow made this day before you. I will worship you, God. Be exalted over my reputation. Make me ambitious to please you, even if as a result I must sink into obscurity and my name be forgotten forever. Rise, O Lord, into thy proper place of honor above my ambitions above my likes and dislikes, above my family, my health, and even my life itself. And then he says this, let me decrease that you may increase. Let me sink that you may rise above. Ride forth upon me as you did ride into Jerusalem, mounted upon the humble little beast, a colt. And let me hear the children cry to you, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Save now, Jesus. Save now, Jesus. May that be the, 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 the words of our heart going out into our world around us as we worship God in our day. Hosanna, save now. Save this person in our work. Save this person in my family. Save this person. Save now, Jesus. May this worship emanate from us. This is what real worship looks like, folks. Be exalted, O God, in my life, and let this be indelibly imprinted on our minds. Be exalted, O God, above. God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth.
Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have taken time out to join us today. We have the assurance that where we are gathered together in your name, that you are in our midst. And we thank you for that. And my Father, I pray today that we will decrease and that you will increase in our lives. I pray today that we will make a commitment to you, a vow to you, that you become greater and we become less. Help us to realize how much you love us, how much you cared for us, how much you did for us. Help us to realize that we have a place one day that we are going to, a home that you have prepared specifically for each one of us. They're not going to be rubber stamped little rooms. I don't see that with you. You're the creator. You, it, it, unfathomable things that you have for waiting, each one of us. A little different for each one of us. It's an amazing thing, God, that you love us in spite of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for my sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for raising from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us. I pray today, if someone does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, today will be the day that you say, Jesus, I believe you died in my place. I receive you as my Savior. If you do that, you'll be in the family of God. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.